Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. Good morning, everybody. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. Amen. God is so good. Amen. Feels good to be home, and I welcome you here today. And if you're watching by live stream, I welcome you. Thank you for joining us. I want to share the Word of God with you this morning. And are uh, you ready to have church? I know I am. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, always, Lord, for the opportunity to be about your work and your will, Lord God. And, Father, I only pray, Lord, that these words that come from my mouth, Lord, will have come from your throne of grace, Lord God, that hearts can be changed, that eyes can be opened, Lord God, and that each and every one that would leave here today, Lord, will leave here differently than they've come in. I am believing on you that you'll do something miraculous this morning, dear Lord. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. The title of my message this morning is Power in the Cross. And I want to I talk to you this morning about the importance of the cross, power in the cross, and what the cross means to you and I. And you know, today you can find the cross in earrings. You'll find it hanging around the neck of believers, non-believers. Um, you could even find it around the neck of those who are as far from Jesus as the Easters from the West. Some, some people wear the cross on T-shirts and keychains, you name it. And, and I'm not opposed to the symbol of the cross because we know what it means. But all of it is meaningless if you don't understand the cross its precious value, and then apply it to your heart. Simply said, the cross and its meaning needs to be applied to our hearts before we wear it around our necks. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is the power of God to who? To the worldly? To the religious? To the non-believer? No. It says it's the power of God to those who are saved. And there's no salvation without the cross because the cross is God's gift to us. A gift of love so amazing and so caring that the truth is it simply goes beyond our human comprehension. To reject the cross or to try another way to God is to simply say to, is simply saying to God, thank you for sending Jesus and allowing your only son to suffer and die for me, but I don't accept your free gift. And for those who don't accept the cross as the only plan for salvation, the consequences are eternal damnation. Can you imagine rejecting God's gift to the world of his son? What Jesus did, the one who was sinless, the one who was perfect, the one who loved them all, was to take our sins. He took our dishonesty, our lust, our lies, our jealousies, and everything you and I, every sin you and I ever committed, he took them upon himself, and he became our sin offering to God. Jesus died so we could live. Now, I know that's hard to comprehend. And the truth is, it's hard for a lot of people to believe it. But the cross needs to be taken very seriously because it's the difference 
between eternal life and eternal damnation. Can you imagine for a moment, God forbid I say, that you had a serious heart disease and the doctor said to you, your only hope for survival is you need a heart transplant. And, 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 and a couple of months went by and the doctor came in and you, you were down to your last week or two of life and the doctor said to you, I'm very sorry, but there's been no, acceptable, uh, no acceptable donors for your heart transplant. You don't have much time left. You really need to start thinking about, you know, end of life type things. And, uh, and there you are sitting in your hospital bed and you're depressed and you're, and you're in fear and you're, you're down and out. And a man walks in your room who you never met, and he walks over to you and he says, I just want to let you know, I just volunteered for your heart transplant operation. And you look at him and you say, how could that be? I, I assume you have a terminal illness. How much time do you have left? And the man looks, looks at you and he says, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm in perfect health. Fit as a fiddle. So you said, I don't understand. How can you give me your heart? And that man looks you in the eye and he says, I loved you so much that I decided to give my heart and die so that you could live. That church is what Jesus did for you and I. That was a good place to say praise the Lord. When Jesus hung on that cross, let me tell you, a lot of things changed. And I can tell you that it was no coincidence that two criminals hung alongside of Jesus and in a few minutes, I'm going to tell you why. So here's the scene at the cross. Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43 says, Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do not you even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? For we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, I don't know about you, and, I, and I'm serious here. Perhaps you picked this up a long time ago. But even though I read that scripture hundreds of times before, it wasn't until recently when God put this sermon on my heart that I actually realized the significance and importance of those two criminals hanging on the cr cross alongside of Jesus. Because that scene right there represented the entirety of mankind and the gain or the loss of man's souls. You see, here we have Jesus on the cross in the center, the sacrificial lamb taking on the sins of the world for those who will receive and accept him. And then alongside of Jesus are two career criminals, two sinners. Now somebody said, hold on a minute, Pastor Bob, not so fast. If that scene were to represent the entire human race, wouldn't there have been one righteous person on one side and one, and one criminal on the other? And the answer is no, because both men were sinners, both men were criminals, and both were deserving of death. And that is the position and condition of every man and woman born. It didn't matter that they were criminals. It didn't matter that their sins may have seemed more severe than someone else's because the Bible says he who offends in one point, he's guilty of all. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 to 23 says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Scripture says there's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everyone. There was no need for a righteous person, or or better said, a self-righteous person to have been on that cross, because apart from Christ, and apart, apart from Christ and on our own, there are none righteous. Now, if somebody doesn't believe that, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. How many are righteous? None, zero. So so the two criminals were simply sinners separated from God due to sin, unable to save themselves, and very close to descending into the chambers of hell for all eternity. And that right there is the picture of mankind. And the only hope for salvation was the man on the cross between them both. And one of them was only concerned for his earthly position. He arrogantly looks to Jesus and says, if you are who you say you are, then get yourself and us down from here. In other words, it's either one or two things. (laughs) Either you are who you say you are, and if so, I need to see something supernatural. I need to see a miracle. Prove yourself. Do something for me. Get me back to the world and my current life. There was no remorse. There was no thought for what Jesus was going through. No thought for our Lord. What a picture of man today. Or number two, you're nothing but an imposter and you can't do anything for us or yourself, so we're all dead. You see, he had no thought of a kingdom not of this world. A kingdom unseen. Now, now this man would ultimately end up in the chambers of hell, and he's there right now and will be so for all eternity, and yet, He had no idea how very close he was to redemption. He had no idea how very close he was to salvation. Now, I don't know the actual distance between Jesus and those two criminals. My guess would be maybe five or six feet, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. But here he was only a few feet from salvation, only a few feet from changing his eternal state from the horrors of hell and the lake of fire to the glories of heaven and paradise for all eternity. He was so close. Perhaps he thought to himself, with the life I lived and all my sins and all the harm I did to others, what could change for me in the next few moments? I lived my life, so there isn't much I could do now. I can't go back and relive what I lived. I can't go back and undo what I did. Again, what a perfect picture of society. People never realizing how very close they are to salvation. Never realizing how close they are to having their past erased. And never realizing how close they are to eternal life. And never never realizing just how very close Jesus is. You see, Jesus is as close as the mention of his name. Somebody could walk through those doors as a condemned sinner who if they died would spend eternity in the torments of hell and that same exact person could walk back out those same exact doors with the clean slate, sins gone, Jesus in their heart and their name written in the Lamb's book of life. 
You see, it's simply, it's simply a choice. It's a choice we make. And yet most people will never make that choice. Isn't that sad? They'll never make that choice. You know, they're too busy with other things. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. Now the other criminal, he was on a level playing field here. I think it's safe to say he was in about the same position and condition as the other criminal. He was about the same distance from Jesus. He was hanging on the cross just like the other criminal was, condemned to death. Probably a similar amount of sins and crimes and plenty of people he hurt along the way. The both were the same. They were separated from God due to sin and there was no difference. The only thing that separated these two criminals and sinners was a choice that each would make. And that's the condition and position of the world. It didn't matter. Uh, and this man didn't rattle on a two-hour list, uh, two list of his life of crime and sins. The first thing he did was to reprimand the other guy and himself. He says, don't you fear God? He says, we deserve our punishment. In other words, he made it clear, we have sinned. We've lived a sinful life. We deserve our punishment. We don't deserve anything from God. And then he said, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. What wisdom from a man who made bad choices his entire life. And he made it clear that Jesus was falsely condemned. Jesus didn't deserve to be on that cross. And this criminal made it clear that he was a sinner and he deserved his punishment. And then he turns to Jesus. He turns to Jesus and he speaks some of the most beautiful words ever spoken. The first thing he does is to call Jesus Lord. He says, you are the Lord. He had faith to believe that Jesus wasn't just a man, but that he was Lord. Now, his faith had to be great. I want you to think about this and see if you agree with me. I think this man's faith had to be tremendous because here was a bloodied, bruised, beaten Jesus hanging on a cross, barely clinging to life and gasping for air, something not customary for a king and certainly not something customary for somebody called Lord, but yet he acknowledged Jesus as Lord. And he said, could you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He also had faith to believe that Jesus had another kingdom, not of this world. And do you notice he didn't ask for, he didn't ask for deliverance so he could cling back to this world? He already put this world behind him and he looked to the next world. He simply made a choice to say, I'm a sinner. I deserve my punishment. I deserve death. And then he humbly turns to Jesus and asked Jesus, could you remember me? Perhaps somewhere down the road a year from now, maybe 10 years from now or 100 years from now, perhaps Jesus could decide to forgive him and bring him into his kingdom, even though he was so very, very unworthy. And Jesus doesn't respond by saying, look at your history of sins. Look at what you did. Look at where you went. Look at who you are. All the people you hurt and all the wrong you did. That's not what Jesus answered, did he? No. In one minute, a lifetime of sins and his past were completely gone. And Jesus says, today, 
not tomorrow, not next year. He says, but today you will be with me in paradise. Praise God. Not only did Jesus promise, promise him paradise that very day, but Jesus said, you'll be with me. Let me tell you, church, in heaven, Jesus doesn't just walk with Moses and Abraham and Joshua. He doesn't just sit down with Peter and Paul and John the Baptist and Mary. But Jesus says to a lifelong sinner and outcast, you will be with me together in paradise. If Jesus promised the condemned criminal that he would be with him together in paradise, guess who else Jesus is planning on spending some personal time with soon? You and I, give the Lord a hand of praise. Now, forgive me, but some of you have to let go of the past. The devil keeps bringing you back to your past sins, your past shame. The east is from the west. That's how far he removes our transgressions. Once your sins have been cleansed in the blood of the Lamb, God Almighty takes your sins and all of your past and he casts it into his forgetful sea. That's what the Bible says. Well, let me ask you, if the all-knowing, all-powerful God of heaven and earth no longer remembers your sins and your past, don't you think it's time to let go and move forward? Praise God. Please remember this, church. Write it on one of those little stick-on notes if you have to and put it on a refrigerator so you could repeat it over and over again until it sinks in. But please remember this. God doesn't care about who you once were. God has zero interest in who you were before you met Christ. Do you know what God is interested in? He's interested in who have you become in Christ. The Apostle Paul said, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's what? He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. And how many things are new? All things are made new. That's what some of these brothers and sisters did right here this morning in water baptism. It wasn't water baptism that, baptism that saved them. They already made a decision for Jesus. They already accepted Christ in their heart. Water baptism is an outward expression of something that's already taken place on the inside. But what they did is they got up here and gave public testimony to say that there was an old man, there was an old woman, and that old man and that old woman passed away. And when they went down under the water, not only did they pass away, but with them went all the past and the sins and the guilt all buried. And when they came up out of the water, they were risen in newness of life. And they say, I'm a new creation. I'm going forward with Jesus. Praise the Lord. So the summary of that scene at the cross in the end, it was really quite simple. Jesus is on the center and his sacrifice would change the world forever. And God would now enter into a new covenant with mankind. The blood that was once required of animals as an atonement for sin would now be replaced once and for all with the blood of Christ. And through Jesus and the cross, and only through Jesus and the cross, would now be the gain or the loss of man's souls to accept him as salvation. 
to reject him is eternal damnation, and there simply is nothing else in between. The two men next to Jesus, both sinners separated from God due to sin, representing every man and woman alive. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and both with the choice to reach out to Jesus and accept him and believe in him, or to turn your back. Everyone has that choice. God created all of us with the free will to choose. And so salvation, it's a choice. And for the vast majority who won't make it to heaven, as crazy as this sounds, spending eternity in hell and all its torments is really a choice. Can you imagine choosing the lake of fire? So many people, the vast majority I'm talking about, choose the temporal over the eternal. People are either being lullabied to sleep by a religious system apart from a true relationship with Jesus that will lead them to hell, or they're simply caught up with the cares of this world and, and money and business and riches and everything that's going on down here, and they're too busy and they don't see the eternal. Now, now, now I'm all for working hard and trying to make a better life for you and your family. I'm all for it. I'm all for being successful and, 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 and having nice things and, and working hard for them. I believe that Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. But apart from Christ, money and success and all these worldly things are absolutely worthless. Jesus said one thing is certain. You brought nothing into this world. And he says, it is absolutely certain you can carry nothing out. Now, if it makes you feel better, you can put it in your will that you want all your cash and jewelry stuffed into the coffin before they close the lid and lower you down so you could feel like you took it with you. But trust me when I tell you, it won't do you an ounce of good because you won't be there. You'll need to be in heaven with Jesus or you'll be in hell. And there is nothing else. You see, the sad truth is this. Most choose, most choose eternal damnation. What a job the enemy has done on the hearts and minds of, of people. Am I right? Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he were to go out and gain the whole entire world and then lose his own soul? I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very profitable to me. You see, church, Salvation is all about our humble attitude and our acknowledgement that our righteousness is filthy rags at his sight. We don't deserve anything from God. We don't deserve Jesus. We don't deserve heaven. Regardless of how good we think we are, even if you walk in all his ways, still we do not deserve our salvation or anything for that matter from God. It's all a free gift thanks to his love and mercy. Jesus once spoke a parable. It says in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's amazing how so many people could think that they've earned something from God. Earned their salvation. Earned God's blessings. Earned God's provision for their life based on something that they did when everything we have from God is a free gift. Whether it's our salvation or God's blessings or His peace or divine healings, all are gifts from God that cannot be earned. Even the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is a gift that cannot be earned. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. You see, nothing can be earned from God. God doesn't owe us anything. He created us and He doesn't need anything. So whatever He gives us, it's all a gift. And in the story I just read, again, we have two men, similar to this scene at the cross, except this time, one is a sinner and one is a righteous man. But really, he was a self-righteous man who thought that he deserved something from God based on what he had done. And, and let's understand something. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader, a, a teacher of the law. He was the one Jesus said loved the greetings in the marketplaces and to be called, uh, to be called rabbi, and he loved his title, and, and, and he loved the praise of men. He was the one the people deemed as good, religious, and, and not like the publicans or the sinners. And he stands and he says, I thank God that I'm not like other men, adulterers, extortioners, or sinners, but not me. And I thank God I'm not like this tax collector over here standing by. He says, I pay my tithes. I fast twice a week. I follow the law. I've earned my place in heaven. And that church is the tone of arrogance that so many have today. The other guy went to the same temple to pray. He was a tax collector, considered a sinner, uh, uh, an outcast, not the religious kind. But he came with a different attitude. I cannot so much as lift my eyes to heaven. I dare not. Who am I, a sinner, to look up and call upon a thrice holy God? Instead, he beat upon his breast. Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. I need your help. I cannot save myself. And Jesus said that man came down justified and not the other. You see, salvation is never a product of our works and good deeds. Our works and good deeds are simply a product of our salvation. I'm going to repeat that one more time because it went over at least a few heads. Salvation is never a product of our works and good deeds. Our works and good deeds are simply a product of our salvation. When you ask God to forgive you of your sin, you repented and turned to a new direction and made him first in your life, and you made a decision to turn from dead religion to a relationship with Jesus Christ, it should be your desire to obey him. It should be our desire to follow his word and his laws and all his statutes and do those things that please him. But make no mistake about it. When we serve God, when we obey him, we're full of good works that still doesn't give any of us the right to so much as lift our eyes to him thinking that we've earned something, that God owes us something based on something that we have done. 
But we give financially to the church and to the work of God. Forgive me if this sounds crude, but we aren't doing God any great favors. Our attitude should be, thank you, oh God, that you even allow me the privilege to give to you. When we serve in ministry, our attitude should be, thank you, oh God, that you allow me, an unworthy servant, the amazing privilege to serve and to labor for you. You see, the entire message of the gospel, the message of grace and the message of the cross, is all based on what he has done and not what we have done. The Bible says our righteousness is filthy rags in his sight. You know what that means? It means when we're at our absolute best, that without grace and the cross is filthy rags in the sight of a thrice holy, perfect God. It could never save us. But when we realize I'm a sinner who doesn't deserve anything from God, and I say, I repent, Lord, forgive me. I'm inviting Jesus into my heart. Cleanse me in his blood. And I thank you, Lord, for saving me because apart from you, I could never be saved. Now you have a heart that understands God's plan of salvation through the cross and through what Jesus did. Now you understand when God saved us, it was a free gift. When the Holy Spirit came and took up residency in your heart, it was God's gift. And God's healings are a gift. And God's blessings are a gift. And God's provision for your life, it's all a gift. I could almost hear somebody saying, well, Bob, if nothing could be earned from God, what's the value in living in obedience? We live in obedience because his word says we should. He requires it. He requires it. We loved him because he first loved us. We serve him and we offer him our hearts. You know why? Because it's all we have to offer him. God doesn't need anything, but I'll tell you what he desires. He desires your heart. He inhabits the praises of his people. And he desires to have fellowship with you. The Apostle Paul cleared all this up in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He said, shall we continue in sin? that grace may abound? He said, certainly not. He said, God forbid. And since it's his will that not even one should perish, guess what? He desires to use you to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ by sharing the good news and leading them to the cross. You see, most of you, if not all of you, are here this morning because somebody showed you the road to salvation. Somebody shared the gospel. Somebody introduced you to Jesus. Perhaps somebody invited you to church. And now it's up to us to share that message of the cross. It's up to us to share the message. And let me tell you, church, it is a very powerful message. There is power in the cross. Is my microphone on back there? Let me try that again. There is power in the cross of Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness at the cross. There's healing at the cross. And I'm telling you, there's deliverance at the cross. In, in, in 20 years or so of ministry, I can tell you through past experience, nothing is impossible when we bring it to the cross. I had a lady, a, a friend of mine in, in, in my New York church about 10 years ago, uh, a good friend of mine, Noah Well, and she got the devastating news once that 
She was diagnosed with one of, if not the most aggressive forms of breast cancer anybody could have. Nobody wants to get breast cancer, but if you had to get it, this would be the one you wouldn't want. She was, uh, she was, I think she was just about close to stage three. And um, the doctors told her that her only chance for survival was to take 40 very powerful chemotherapy treatments. And even with those treatments, he said, we could only hope that this will slow up the progression of this disease, maybe put it into remission, but there were no promises, and it was about 50-50 at that. But she needed these treatments. So she went for her first treatment and made her deathly sick, landed her in the hospital for about two days. And the doctor said, look, sometimes that happens, first treatment, second treatment. You're going to have to go through it, he says, but it should get better, but you need to keep taking these treatments. And she only took the one, and she made a decision. She walked in the church the following Sunday, and, and, and I was there early, and she came in early before service, and she walked over to me. We were talking, and she said, I've been praying about it, and I made a decision. She says, I'm not taking any chemotherapy treatments. She says, I got 39 to go. I'm not taking any. And I got to be perfectly you know, honest with you. I wasn't really sure that she was doing the right thing because I believe that there are times that God uses doctors and, and, and some of this medical science to help us, right? All this wisdom and knowledge came from him. So I wasn't sure she was doing the right thing, but I wasn't going to question her faith. So I did the only thing I know how to do, and that is call the elders of the church. And we gathered around, and we took out a bottle of oil, and we anointed her with oil, and we prayed that God would bring a miracle. And she went back to her oncologist for her one of her checkups, and he thought she was still getting her treatments. She should have been on treatment like number seven or eight, and he's supposed to keep checking her to make sure that to see how the treatments are working, right? I don't know how it works, but... You know, I guess that's how it works. So she she uh, she went back to him, and, and he said, how's everything going? And she says, I haven't taken not even one treatment. And he started to yell at her, and he says, what is wrong with you? He says, do you realize that you are committing suicide? He says, do you have any idea what you're dealing with here? He says, if you take these 40 treatments, he says, you only have a chance that we could even slow this thing up. And she says, well, I've been praying to the Lord. She says, and that's, that's how I feel. She says, I'm not taking any more treatments. So he ran a bunch of tests. She walked into the church about a week later in tears and came over, and she said that the oncologist told her that her cancer was 100% gone. Not even a trace. 100% gone. Her name is Nettie, N-E-D-I, Santana, S-A-N-T-A-N-A, and she's my friend, and you can look her up online if you want. She's president of a ministry called Harmony of Praise. She goes back and forth to the Philippines and helps little children, and she introduces people to Jesus, and it's been about 10 years, and she's still doing it, and she feels great thanks to Jesus. You see, there's power in the cross, church. Can we all take a few moments out and give a big hand of praise to Jesus for his wonder-working power? Don't be afraid. The psalmist says, Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet. Praise him with the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and with dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and with cymbals. Let everything that has praise, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. See, church, I've seen it time and time again. 
Your past has seen it time and time again. My friend Larry right here has seen it time and time again. Living miracles right amongst us. And they're here for a purpose. God's letting us know he's still on his throne. God still stands on his promises. If you need, if you have a special need, I want to encourage you. Every one of you, lay it at the foot of the cross. If you need healing, come to the foot of the cross. If you need, if you need a financial, you're in a financial mess, bring it to the cross. If you need God to do something miraculous in your life or in your family or you have a task laid before you that you bring it to the cross. You say, why the foot of the cross, Pastor Bob? I'm going to tell you. It's because it's faith that moves mountains. You see, it's faith and believing in your heart that what you ask God for, he will answer. It's faith that heals the sick. It's faith that changes situations. It's faith that can melt the stubborn heart. Jesus said you must believe. You say, well, what does the foot of the cross have to do with that? You see, when you kneel at the cross and you wonder, will an almighty, all-powerful God step in and answer my prayer? Will he bless me with a miracle? Does he love me enough to move in my situation and deliver me? Will he, will he give me, will he get me through this impossible task laid before me? It's at the foot of the cross as you bring your needs before the Lord where you can look up and you can see Jesus hanging there. You can see the blood in his eyes from that crown of thorns on his head. You could see those nails in his hands all covered with blood. You could see that face all disfigured and scarred and his body all bruised and bloodied and broken. You could look up and see our Lord barely gasping for air. And when you do, it won't take you very long before you realize if my God loved me that much that he would allow his son to suffer and die like that for me. If my Jesus loved me that much that he would go ahead and do that for me and for my sins, I certainly have faith to believe that he's never going to leave me or forsake me. I've got faith to believe that all things are going to work together for my good. I have faith to believe that he is my healer. I have faith to believe that he is my provider. And I have faith to believe that I could take all of my cares and cast them onto him because I know he cares for me. See, my life is in his hands, so I totally trust him in all things. Bring it to the cross, church. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that a friend would lay down his life for another friend. Jesus gave you his life. What else could he possibly give? If he gave his life for you, don't you think he's going to take care of the rest? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things that we spend so much time thinking about and worrying about and working for, all these other things, they'll just be added unto you. Bring it to the cross, because the cross is where your sins were forgiven. The cross is where you received your salvation. The cross is where God demonstrated his great love for you. And the cross is where the veil of the temple was torn in two as God entered into a new, a new covenant with all of us. And get this, because of Jesus and because of the cross, 
you and I can now go boldly to the throne of grace. Now, I know we've said that a hundred times and we've heard it a thousand times, but have you ever really thought about what that means? Honestly, has that ever really fully sunk in that because of the cross, you and I can go boldly into the throne room of God Almighty and you can get alone with the creator of this world, the seas, the universe, and everything in them and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with God Almighty. That's what God did for us. And it's at the cross. It's at the cross where you're going to find healing and peace and comfort knowing that God so loved the world. God didn't just love the religious. He didn't just love those who think they're good. He didn't just love those who think they're righteous. But God so loved the world. He loved the righteous. He loved the good. He loved the obedient. He loved the sinner. And at the cross is where he opened the door to salvation for all of us. Let's stand to our feet and give the Lord an ultra big hand of praise for what he's done. He is, he is our God. Whoa. He's our Savior. He's our Master. He is our King. He's the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. And there's none like him. And I'll tell you what, church, nothing's impossible. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible when we put it in the hands of our Lord. Nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. Come on, say nothing's impossible. All things are possible. Once we bring it to the cross. If he loved us that much, he didn't bring us this far to watch us fall. I'm convinced. And this morning, while we're bringing everything to the cross, the first thing that comes from the cross and the most important thing is salvation, a redeemed life. And so I want to ask anyone here this morning, if you've never made a decision for Christ, all of us have had to make that decision at one time or another, so don't ever be embarrassed. Jesus wasn't embarrassed when he had to go to the cross for you and I. So don't ever be embarrassed. But if somebody's here this morning or you're watching by live stream and you've never made a decision for Christ, you've never asked God to forgive you, when you say, Lord, I not only want you to forgive me, but I want to repent. I want to turn from an old direction to face a new one. And you want to say, I want to ask for your forgiveness and I want to invite Jesus into my heart. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want the cross to be the center of my life. And I'm going to trust in him. And I want to receive the gift of salvation. If anybody's here that has never made that decision, I don't care if you've been in church 5,000 times, doesn't mean anything. But if you've never made that decision, I want a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to ask you to hold your hand up for a few seconds. I'm not going to ask you to come up. I promise. Thank you, sister. Anybody else? I, I need to just give the Holy Spirit. Thank you back there, sister. Anybody else? I need to give the Holy Spirit some time. I need to give... Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, my brother. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, my sister. Anybody else? Anybody's a divine appointment here this morning, church? Because I believe in divine appointments. You're not here by... Thank you. You're not here by coincidence. Anybody else? 
We've had hands up all over the place. Let me tell you, church, that's the work of God. That's the work of God. I'm going to ask those who raise their hands and everyone here to just repeat this simple little prayer because this is really all it is. You remember how the man at the cross just turned to Jesus? And he said, Lord, would you remember me? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So if you mean this from your heart, it's as simple as what I'm going to say right now. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, I come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I am sorry for my sins. Lord, I confess my sins. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Lord, I invite Jesus right now into my heart. I ask you to cleanse me in the blood of Jesus. Wash away every sin. I believe according to your word that my sins are gone. They're washed clean and I'm as white as snow. And I believe that Jesus died on a cross. And I believe that he's risen from the dead. And right now, he is alive forevermore. And I make him the Lord of my life. I invite him into my heart. And I promise, Lord, that I'm going to follow you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. You are first in my life from this moment forward. In Jesus' name. And I declare, according to your word, that I am saved. Let's give the Lord a big hand of praise. Wow. Bible. The Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven over just one. Now, we had about six or seven here this morning, so there must be quite a party going on. Amen? And now, before pastor comes and dismisses service, I want to give every person in this room and don't take this lightly what I'm about to say, because I've seen God do some amazing things through the years. But if you're here this morning and you need something from God, regardless of what it is, a healing, a miracle, a touch, you need God to clear your mind or your heart from something, an addiction, or, or, or it could be anything. Or you need something for your family. There's somebody that you're standing on behalf of. I'm going to ask you as the worship team plays to come to the altar. But here's what I want to ask you to do this morning, please. When you come to the altar, because I believe that there's, we surrender at the altar. I believe in coming to the altars. Amen, Pastor? I really do. You step out of our seats and, and we come and we lay it to the Lord. But this morning, not only do I want you to come to the altar, but I want to ask you this morning, whatever it is, to bring it to the foot of the cross. I want to bring it right to the cross, whatever that situation is. And then as we pray, I believe that the faith that God will put into your heart will allow us to have him move supernaturally in our lives. I really believe it. I believe some people are going to get delivered this morning. I believe we're going to see some miraculous answers to prayer. I have to believe that. But we need to bring it to the cross. So if you have something that you need from God, I don't care what it is, just bring it to the altar and bring it to the foot of the cross as the worship team
Hallelujah, church. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The Spirit of God is here. We can feel His presence. We can feel the mighty rushing wind moving through the sanctuary. This is where Jesus is amongst us, is in our midst right now. He's in our midst. He's here. He's here, church. We need to acknowledge he is here. He is here. He is here. He is not far. He is here. I want to ask all of you that came to this altar and even those who are in the back, let's lift our, lift our heads up, but keep your eyes closed. And I want you to picture for a moment, same by you watching by live stream, just lift your head, raise those hands, and as you look up with your eyes closed, I want you to picture our Lord Jesus hanging there. Picture, picture the crown of thorns. Picture, picture those, those nails in his hands. Picture that disfigured face and all those bruises and scars. Picture it, because that's how much he loved us. 
That's how much he loved you. And right now, Lord, we look to the cross. We look to you, Jesus, as a helpless people, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, right now, that you will hear the cry of your people, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you would do signs and wonders and miracles, Lord, because we call upon you, because we have faith to believe, Lord, because as we see you there, Jesus, we know the great love that you had to have for us, Lord. And we know, Lord, you didn't bring us this far to see us fall. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you right now would move upon your people, Lord God. I pray that you would heal miraculously, Lord. Anybody here this morning who needs a special touch from you, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, Lord. You've done it before, Lord. I know you'll do it again, Lord. I pray for the brokenhearted this morning, Lord. I pray for those that need a touch from you, Lord. I pray for those, Lord, who need clear direction in their life, Lord. They don't know which way to turn, God. I pray, Lord, that you would give them direction, Father. I pray, Lord, for every situation that's at this altar, Lord God. You know every heart. You know every life. You know every need, Lord God. And right now, Father, we believe in the mighty name of Jesus that you will bring these things to pass. And Father, I am calling upon you for a special blessing upon this church, Lord God. I'm calling for a special blessing upon Pastor Maria, Lord, and, and, and all the pastors here, Lord, Tony, and all of them, Lord God, each and every one that serves in this church, Lord. Take this church to much higher ground, Lord. We know that you have plans, Lord, to do big and great and mighty things, Lord. But it's only going to happen through you, Lord. We trust you this morning that you will bring it to pass, Lord. And, Lord, we want to thank you in advance for every healing, for every answer to every prayer that is going to take place right now at this altar, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that every single heart will be touched, that every single life will be touched, Lord, and that you will bless each and every one as we leave here today and we give you thanks, we give you praise, and we give all the glory to Jesus. As the church said, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Didn't God minister this morning through his word? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. And give a hand of appreciation to uh, Pastor Guerrero for bringing the word. God bless you. May his word and his spirit continue to minister to you. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you on Wednesday evening. God bless. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you. And we hope you will join us again.